So um, as you heard, my name is uh, Yoel Ben David, um, and you hear my accent. So you, as you, you know, I'm, I'm not from around here at all. I'll explain um, how the the sort of like Middle Eastern name um, and the English accent and the sort of ISIS look-alike face all go together um, in just a moment. But as you can see up there on the board, I'm here to talk about Pentecost. And uh, what people normally do is they think, well, you're a little early, buddy, right? Um, Pentecost is in a little while. Um, and so why would I be talking about Pentecost today? So I've got a few answers to that that we can see up here on the board. Um, yes, you're right. Um, I am early because Pentecost is eight weeks away. And yeah, you know, the, the message of Pentecost is about receiving the Holy Spirit. And we've all heard that, you know, on next Sunday, we're all going to hear about how Jesus died and rose from the dead. So what's it all about? But no, because Pentecost is actually, hang on, go back. Cheers. <laughs> Pentecost is actually just one part of a whole series of festivals. And Jesus connects these festivals together and the Old Testament brings them together. And so that's what we're going to look, about, look at this morning as we go through the spring feasts um, of the people of Israel. But before we do that, as I said, I'm going to um, tell you a bit about myself. So I am Jewish, okay? And being Jewish, every single year, at this time of year, I had to watch that film, okay? <laughs> All right? For those of you who have never seen it, it's three and a half hours long, Every single year. So naturally, I inflicted upon my children. Because, you know, traumas should be family. Um, but, uh, but as I grew up, I had a problem. You see, I, I knew I was Jewish. And my mom made sure we did all the sorts of Jewish stuff and traditional Jewish stuff in the house. But I had an issue. Because, you see, I, I was 15 years old. And I was doubting whether my mom was actually giving me, like, the real story. So I decided I was going to go out and read a book about God and try and find out about God for myself. Now, you would have thought good Jewish boy would have gone straight to the Tanakh, right? That's the Old Testament, how Jewish people say the Old Testament. But I use the age-old idiom that, you know, if you've seen the movie, right, you don't need to read the book, right? And I definitely seen the movie, so I decided I'm going to get two other books. So I got a copy of the Quran and a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, which is part of Hindu writings. And I start to read through these two books and find out about God, but I really wasn't understanding or getting too much out of it. But eventually, when I was 18 years old, I was sitting on my bed with the Quran, and a thought came to me. And the thought was that if God really is real, I mean, if he created the world, I don't need to read through all these books because God should be able to just, you know, show up, right? So right there in that room, I took the Quran, I put it down next to me, and I said, God, if you're real, show up. And right there at the end of my bed appears the face of Jesus. So naturally, I completely freak out, right? Okay, I'm like, what is going on? I'm going mad. I'm going mental. This is not good. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to deal with it, and I didn't know how to handle it. And I began to rationalize. I began to tell myself, oh, I must have seen this on television or something for this picture to get into my mind. Because, I mean, you have to think about the scene, right? There's a Jewish guy sitting next to a copy of the Quran, seeing Jesus at the end of his bed. Yeah, there's just too many monotheistic religions in one room. Yeah, it's a little... Uh, <laughs> so, put that to the back of my mind. Did not want to think about that again, and I certainly didn't tell anyone. 
I left England, which is where I was at the time, went back to Israel, and in Israel, met the most beautiful girl in the world. Her name is Adele. And as Adele and I were getting to know each other, we talked about God all the time. She had come from a family that she'd lost her mom when she was three to breast cancer. And as she got older, her dad was searching for truth and this and philosophy, and he was into meditation and every, every sort of stuff. And so when Adele and I got together, we talked and talked and talked until we realized, hang on a second, all we're doing is talking, and we're not doing anything to show that we believe in God. So being Jews, living in Israel, we get into Judaism, right? And so we start um, keeping kosher and keeping the festivals. And you don't go to synagogue once a week. You go to synagogue three times a day. So I went to synagogue three times a day until eventually Adele and I, when we got married, became Orthodox Jews. So there's a picture of me with my eat your heart out Charlton Heston beard, right? Um, And we lived a life of Orthodox Jews. Eventually, I got drafted into the Israeli army, and in the Israeli army, I served in the head rabbinical corps, kind of like the chaplains in the U.S. Army. We had the rabbis, and that's what I was doing. Went home one day, and there's a friend of a friend, Judy, sitting in our living room, and she challenged Adele and I when I came in. She said, you're well, and Adele, have you ever read the Tanakh for yourself? Now, you would have thought, hey, they're religious Jews. Of course they've read the, New, the Old Testament. But Orthodox Jews don't read the Old Testament. We don't study the Old Testament for that. We read the five books of Moses, and, but every time we only look, through it, look at it through the filter of tradition. We only, we, the rabbis tell us what it says. We never just read it for ourselves or understand it for ourselves. Jewish people, Orthodox Jews, study Talmud. We don't study the Bible. So Adele and I had never actually just read the story for ourselves. And because we're not competitive at all, we decided we would race to see who could read it first. So uh, when I won... No, when I got to the end of the five books of Moses, Adele and I had a problem because we realized that actually the majority of the things that we were doing as Orthodox Jews was not written right there in the Bible. So who are we following, right? I mean, I want to follow God. I don't want to follow just some tradition. So we kept reading through, and I got to Isaiah 53. Now, Isaiah 53 is the clearest picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, Written about 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah tells us who he is and what he's going to come and do. And I read through that chapter, and I'll tell you, I didn't understand a word. Didn't get it. So I went off to Judy to get an explanation as to what Isaiah 53 means. Now, Judy is a Jewish believer in Jesus. She didn't tell us of her faith in Jesus at all, but she had been praying every single day for nine months that God would give her a sign so she would know when to tell us about Jesus. Because, you know, look at my face. A little scary. Okay? So, she prayed. I knocked on her door that night, and I said, Judy, you've got to explain Isaiah 53. And for her, she saw a little Jesus light over my head go, bing, right? Okay? She's like, okay, this is the sign. She brings me in, gives me a cup of tea, and then starts to tell me about Jesus. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, oy vey, ay, ay, ay. Right? I like stroke my beard and how can I, but I'm Jewish. But as she's speaking, I realize, you know what? I've lived the life of a secular Jew. I've lived the life of an Orthodox Jew. I've read through the Quran. I've read through the Gita. How can I tell this lady that Jesus isn't the Messiah just because my mom told me when I was a little boy that Jews don't believe in Jesus? I mean, it's just not a good enough reason. So right there in that room, as she's speaking, I'm praying under my breath and I'm just, I'm pleading. I'm saying, God, I'm tired of the the reading and the talking and the discussing. I need you to just show me. And the moment that I prayed that prayer, 
I had the same vision of the face of Jesus appear in that room as it had when I was 18 years old in my bedroom. And I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus was real. So I prayed a prayer with Judy, walked out of her house. I start walking home, and it clicks. My Orthodox Jewish wife is sitting at home reading the Tanakh, and I have to go home and tell her that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I don't know how the other guys in the room deal with uh, difficult announcements, okay? But in my family, we plan, okay? If you don't have a plan, you're just going to walk in there blind. It's not going to go well. So I'm walking home, and I'm planning, and I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? And I realize there's no way of just swinging it so it's just a nice, calm discussion. So I decide I'm just going to go in and just blurt it out. So I actually went into the bedroom, and I said, Adele, something terrible has happened. And she said, what? And I said, I've just found out that Jesus is the Messiah. See the jazz hands there? Okay? I'm putting effort into the announcement. And Adele looks up, and she goes, oh, okay. And I said, no, 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 you didn't hear what I said. I said, Jesus, that one okay, is the Messiah. And she looks up, she goes, ah, you're overreacting. We'll get a book, we'll read, it'll be fine, calm down. <laughs> totally unsatisfied with the anticlimax of the bedroom scene, I decide I've got to go off and up the ante on the discussion and get a new testament. So I went off to the Israeli army. In fact, I went to the head base of the rabbinical corps of the Israeli army. Why would I go there? Well, in the Israeli army, we give every single soldier a Tanakh, Right? The Old Testament to use when they swear into the army. But for the Christian soldiers, of which we have a couple, um, we give the, get ready, English language NIV New Testament. So I've got to confess before you this morning, I stole a New Testament. <laughs> in fact, we have a saying in Hebrew, imkval askval. If you're going to do it, then just do it. So I stole two. <laughs> Took the two New Testaments home, gave one to Adele, kept one for myself. We start to read through the Jesus bit of the Bible. I come home two weeks later, and there is Adele sitting in the living room with tears in her eyes. So I come in, and I say, sweetheart, what's wrong? Why are you crying? She just finished reading the gospel according to Matthew, and she looked up, and she said, he was such a good man. Why, why have we never heard this before? And it struck me she was right. There we were, two religious Jews, living in Jerusalem where Jesus walked, and we'd never heard the story. Here we were, two Jews, having been raised in Germany, which is where Adele came from, uh, England and France, which is where I was raised, having never heard the story from any of our Christian friends. And it made me realize she was right. And so a year later, when I was in Bible school and trying to find ways to serve, I decided I was going to serve with Jews for Jesus, because that's what we do. We go and tell Jewish people, about Jesus. There are lots of different things that people do in the world of Jewish ministry, but we just do one thing. We go and tell Jewish people about Jesus and disciple people and bring them to faith. Because that for me is, is the one thing that I want to see done because I don't want someone to come to me like my wife asked when I was newly in faith and say, why, why has no one ever told us? Let's move on though. Um, oh, there's the family right now. Um, it's a little dark. But I've got four children, um, two girls, two boys. They're very cute. Everyone, please say, ah. Thank you very much. And let's move on. Okay. Here we have 
the feasts of the people of Israel. This is what people celebrate every single year. Now, we've got Purim from the book of Esther, Hanukkah, which is actually um, a festival that started in between the Old and New Testaments. So it's not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. It is mentioned in the New, in John chapter 10, the Feast of Dedication. Um, We've got the Fall Feasts, Day of Trumpets, which Jewish people call Rosh Hashanah, Atonement, which Jewish people call Yom Kippur, and then we've got Tabernacles in the Last Great Day, part of one festival where we all build tabernacles and sleep in them. It's kind of like a sort of required tent trip, camping trip, every single year. But up there, we have the the spring feasts. We go to the next slide, and it sort of focuses in on a little more. These are the spring feasts of the Lord. So Passover, unleavened bread. Passover is really the first night of the unleavened bread festival. Um, We should have unleavened bread there as first fruits, yeah, because right after um, Passover is the first fruits. And then we have the Feast of Weeks. As you can see, it's in May, eight weeks later. Um, We count seven weeks And then we celebrate the Feast of Weeks. In the um, English, people often say Pentecost because it's the 50th day, right? 7 times 7 equals 49. The 50th day, the day after the seven weeks, that is Pentecost. And then second Passover. People often don't know this, but actually, if you miss the Passover, so that's it, you know, if you're ritually unclean, um, you've touched a dead body, whatever it is, then what they said is you don't celebrate the Passover that time. You just wait a month. Not on the 14th day of the first month, but on the 14th day of the second month, you can celebrate the Passover. So those are the things that would happen during the spring feasts. We're going to look at the feasts in Jewish tradition from a Jewish perspective, and then we're going to see how they relate to our faith in Jesus. Okay, so let's move on. So the very first feast we see up there at the top, Passover. You guys had Dr. Jack here last year, right? Yeah, Dr. Jack, who was actually one of my trainers in Jews for Jesus before he Move to Chosen People Ministries. Yeah, Dr. Jack would have explained to you that Passover is about redemption, right? It's about the Exodus story. It's about us coming out of the land of Egypt and, Jesus, and God redeeming us, redeeming us through the blood of that lamb so that we could be brought out to safety. Then after Passover, we celebrate the first fruits. Now let's read what um, Leviticus 23, which is the first place we hear about first fruits. Let's see what it says. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So, what's first fruits all about? Well, first fruits is something that many, many different people celebrated in different ways in the ancient Near East. Um, And this is the way God asks us to keep it. But first verse is essentially this. We've had winter, and everything was kind of dead during winter. Now, things giving fruit. There are no leaves on trees, right? We don't have big Douglas firs in Israel, right? No evergreens. Everything's just dead. Everything looks bleak. And then every single year at spring, things kind of like come back to life. Now, in ancient pagan traditions, which existed in that area, what they thought was is that the god of plants yeah, would die every winter and then come back to life in the spring. Yeah? And they celebrated his sort of dying in autumn and death in winter and then coming back and being all happy in summer. Right? And that's how they looked at the seasons. But God tells us this. He says, 
No, what I, want you, what I want you to do is to take of your first fruits, take of your first harvest, as you're celebrating that your harvest has come back, that food has come back to you, and I want you to wave it in front of me, and I want you to, I want you to speak to me. But let's move on. Here, no, no, back, back one. Look at the emphasis, though, in this passage. The passage, the, the promise of first fruits, the festival of first fruits, is not just about the coming back to life, but it's also about when you come into the land. We only had to celebrate it when we entered the land of Israel. Because first fruits is showing that what, we've prom- what I promised you in the redemption, what I promised you when I brought you out of the land of Egypt, that I would give you a land, you only celebrate first fruits when that promise is finally fulfilled. So it's about things coming back to life, but it's also about the promise that you received the redemption actually coming to fulfillment right there in the first fruits. Let's move on. The final of the three feasts in the spring is Pentecost. Now, in Hebrew, we call it Shavuot, which means weeks. Yeah, Shavuot, weeks. But in Jewish tradition, we always celebrate Pentecost that it, that as if it happened on Sinai, right? So when we celebrate Pentecost in the Jewish tradition today, we celebrate the receiving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Now, we're not too sure how long it actually took for us to go from Egypt to Mount Sinai. It ha- we arrived in Sinai on the third month, so it could have taken the full sort of like seven, eight weeks um, that it would take from now, or it could have been a little less or more. But nonetheless, in Jewish tradition, we celebrate it as the arrival at Sinai. So here we've got this passage from Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. So all of these these slaves coming out of the land of Egypt, all of them essentially institutionalized to being slaves and living in Egypt, which is why we always see them every time something goes wrong. They want to go back to Egypt, right? Because when they don't know what's going on, they want to go back to what they know, right? Living as slaves and working for Pharaoh. But here God on the mountain wakes them up. He wakes them up through the thunder and the lightning and the fire and gets them to listen to him. Why? Because he wants the people of Israel to change. He wants them to be transformed and to not be Pharaoh's slaves anymore, but to learn to be his servants and walk with him. So this are, these are the three festivals. We've got a, a summary page, right? Passover, God saved us from slavery. First fruits, we thank God for giving us his land, his land to live in. And Pentecost, God revealed his will to us through the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, I would imagine that all of you are sitting there going, who cares, right? I mean... I'm happy for, you know, Jewish people like you, you're well, that's brilliant, okay? But what's it, what's it got to do with me? So let's have a look at um, how Jesus is connected to these festivals. In fact, how the New Testament shows us it is. Well, as you would have seen with Dr. Jack last year, right, Passover speaks to us about the crucifixion, right? Passover speaks to us about the shed blood of the lamb, the lamb that brings us out of Egypt, and in that same way, the blood of Jesus is the blood of the Passover lamb that brings us out of slavery to sin into the freeness and the freedom of his grace. 
we have redemption. And here in 1 Corinthians, Paul connects Jesus and the Passover lamb and says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let's move on to the next one. First fruits. Now, first fruits is connected to the resurrection. As we said, we have this tradition of dying and coming back to life every single year in other festivals around the people of Israel. And God wants us to celebrate that. But it's also the fulfillment of the sacrifice. Yeah? So Jesus dies on the cross to redeem us, but his sacrifice is only a one-time thing unless he rises from the dead, yeah? Blood atones for the sins of the people by virtue, Leviticus tells us, of the life within it. The reason Jesus' sacrifice atones for all of us because life still lives in the blood of that sacrifice. Jesus rose from the dead and his resurrection brings that fulfillment and that promise. We hear again Paul connecting first fruits and the resurrection. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now let's move on. Then what happens after the death and the resurrection? Let's read from Acts. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus dies on Passover night. He rises, actually on the day of first fruits, he rises from the dead on the Sunday, and then he stays with them for 40 days. So he was there for three, and he was there for 40, yeah? So how much is that? So how many days left until Pentecost? Seven, right? So all they had to do was hang out for a week, yeah? For one week to wait so that all things would begin to change. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Jesus leaves them after 43 days and says, I'll be back in seven days and everything's going to change and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to the next slide. Now let's see how this connects to Sinai. The receiving of the Holy Spirit and Sinai. Let's look at this. In English, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. There is the words of the Sinai event. But look at this. The word for thunder in the Hebrew, hakolot, doesn't actually mean Thunder, normally, what it means is the voices, the voices and the sounds. The word used for flashes of lightning normally is not used for flashes of lightning. The word lapidim normally means flames. Now let's look at Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they began to speak with the Holy Spirit. What the book of Acts, what the author of Acts is trying to do is he's trying to connect the literature of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the people of Israel, yeah, to the, to the disciples right there, to the coming of the law 
in Mount Sinai. The book of Acts is trying to tell you, hey, we're receiving the Holy Spirit, it's Pentecost, and this is our Sinai event. This is the moment where God wakes us up from our former slavery to sin. This is the point where God tries to click and say, hey, everyone, you're no longer slaves to Pharaoh. You're no longer people caught under the world and Satan and your own flesh. You are new. You are changed. You are transformed. And he's trying to tell everybody and demonstrate that to everybody by saying, this is our Sinai. This is the moment where we are transformed. This is the point of regeneration and change right there as we receive the Holy Spirit. So what is the Bible saying? Well, many people ask, as you see up here, does this mean I should celebrate Jewish festivals just like Jesus did? And as you can see, my answer is no, right? I don't think that this is about telling us that we need to therefore go and live like Jewish people and celebrate all the festivals. The festivals are cool. You can do them. They, if they bring us closer to who Jesus is, then that's great. If they give us more background, as I hope you've experienced a little bit this morning, then that's good. It brings out what Jesus is trying to say to be much clearer by understanding the Jewish background to it. But that doesn't mean that we need to go ahead and keep all these festivals. The festivals call us, no, no, go back. The festivals call us to live as Jesus died and rose. The festivals say, hey, no, we need to live as he did. We need to remember the suffering, yeah, and the difficulty, but we also need to remember the hope and the resurrection because it is not about observance of the law, but obedience to the gospel of grace. Now, what does that mean? It's very difficult to live in God's grace. I've noticed this, especially as I have been training and helping missionaries to understand how to teach this to others. Because most of the time, we don't live right there where the gospel speaks to us. We live in a place that's very different. We either go to irreligion and say, okay, well, nothing matters. It doesn't matter. I'll just do whatever I want. Or, and this I'm speaking to you, church, as Christians, our tendency is not to leave the gospel towards irreligion, but to leave the gospel towards religion. Our tendency as followers of God is to try and figure out something that I do that means that God owes me, right? And we have all sorts of things. It's, hey, you know what? I come to Bible study before church every single week. I'm always there. So, you know, God, you know, show me the love, right? Okay? I pray every single day for my family, every single day. So, you know, I want to get something for it. I want to get something back. I do all this stuff, and I, I live all this stuff out, and I, I, you know, I give my tithe, and I, and I do this, and I do this, and I do that. I should be getting for that, shouldn't I? And what we try to do is we try to do Jesus plus something. And I don't know if you've ever heard these little equations, but Jesus plus something, brothers and sisters, equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. To live in that place of the gospel is to live in a place where we know that Jesus has accomplished everything. Jesus has done everything for us, completed it all. And if we live out lives of holiness 
and kindness and goodness, it's not from a place of, I'm doing this so I expect to get from God. It's in a place of, I'm doing this out of thankfulness because God's already done it. I'm doing this out of a place of, hey, I have a relationship with God. Everything's completed and I just want to give because, because of who he is in me. Not because of I want to get something from him. It's not about doing stuff in order to get more from God. It's about knowing that God has accomplished everything and living through that. So most importantly, I want you guys to see in these spring feasts the big picture. And the big picture is that they are three feasts in just one season. And the Passover tells us about sacrifice, the first fruits, the resurrection. But what is the sacrifice and the resurrection actually shown in our lives? It's Pentecost. It's the transformation. So as we celebrate Jesus' death on Friday, as we celebrate his resurrection on the Sunday, it's just the beginning of seven weeks that will lead us to a place where we remember the transformation in our lives. And that is what takes place at Pentecost. Because it's all about that relationship. It's all about reestablishing that relationship with God. Now guys, on a regular basis, right, I don't come to Oregon. I mean, I love coming back. And, you know, what is a horizon without Mount Hood? I, I, I don't know. Um, but I keep coming back um, to speak to people. But that's not what I normally do. What I normally do, as you heard, is I, I train missionaries, right? I live just on the outskirts of Tel Aviv. And with a bunch of guys, we go out and some of the guys go out to the streets and engage people and begin discipling relationships with them. And we have a, a little house um, in uh, an area called Florentine in the south of Tel Aviv. And right there, it's a sort of a hipster, cool place with, you know, sort of lots of militant vegans. <laughs> I wonder if I've heard of a town like that. Um, so we had that kind of little area in South Tel Aviv, and a bunch of young guys lived there um, that I train and help work with. And what they do is they bring people in. It's kind of like a church plant. People come in. We have art galleries. We have all sorts of stuff go on, and we begin to engage with the people of the area. And again, it's all about getting into those discipling relationships with the people that you know and are familiar with so that they hear more about who Jesus is, see more about who Jesus is in our lives, and come to faith. That's what we do in Tel Aviv. One of the things that I love doing, and we're going to see a video in just a few moments, um, one of the things that I love doing is every single summer, I train up a bunch of young Israeli uh, student types, and they come in, and we, we do some training and discipling and some training in evangelism so that they can go out to India to tell people about Jesus. Now, why India? Because Israeli soldiers, when we finish our army service, the one thing we want to do is get out of the Middle East, Right? If I had Middle East up to here, okay, I want to go somewhere else. And lots of Israelis go to India because it's cheap to be there. We save money during our army service, and it normally sees us, you know, about six months in India um, just off our savings. And so we go to India and meet and engage with Israelis. And so you're going to see that video in just a second. But if you want to be praying um, for what we do, you want to be praying and hearing more about what Jews for Jesus does in Israel, then you guys got a card right there in your in your leaflets there, yeah? Um, put on that card either your name and email or your name and your address, and I can stay in touch, and you can be praying for us. And as a missionary, I've got to tell you guys, prayer is the most important thing I can ask for. You guys being interested, you guys praying, you guys getting our news and, and praying for us as we're doing our thing. So if you'd like to, and if you would, 
fill out that card, and you can put it in the basket at the back. You can also um, give financially if you'd like to as well. There's an envelope for that. But at the back, I've got my buddy Sheldon over there with that table. And on that table, guys, we've got Jewish gospel music. Everyone say, ooh. For those of you who want to know what the worship service will be like in heaven. Okay, just kidding. Just joking. But anyway, fill out the card if you would, um, because that prayer really means much. I'm now going to let you see that video of us um, in India. people they're meeting that they can meet any day of their lives and that we could grow and that the, the body of Messiah in Israel would really get that we have the responsibility to share with our people um, and with our friends. Most of them for the first time ever they met a Jewish person that believes in Jesus and people come to these areas to study all kinds of courses, um, smoke a lot of drugs and they do all kinds of things that they want to existentially experience them. And we really want to make Jesus an option in our society in this day, that Jesus is the way, uh, the way, the truth, and the light. Something that Masa um, changed in me, just being adaptive to the situation and just being able to live my normal life and going someplace and just being, you know, ready to be used by God. שמים אותו במרכז גם כן. הם רצו לשמוע עוד ועוד ועוד, ואנשים שלכאורה בהתחלה נראו שהם פחות מקשיבים ופחות בשיחה, התחילו גם להצטרף ולשאול עוד שאלות, וזה פשוט יצא ששיחה כשעתיים, שלוש. זה התהליך האישי של כל אחד. זה המסע שכל אחד מהמשתתפים עובר. דברים שעשיתי בשנה אחת הם קטנים לעומת מה שעברתי בחודש וחצי האחרונים. ביסור... במסע זה כמו לזרק למים, אבל המים הם טובים. מה שאומר שפשוט להתחיל לעשות את הצעד, לבשר, ולא להשאיר את הפחדים מאחורה, וגם אם יש פחדים זה בסדר, ותמיד יהיו. היא שאלה הרבה שאלות, כמו דרשימות האמונה, פעם ראשונה שהיא שמעה על זה, היא גם חקרה על זה, אחר כך קראה על זה יותר, סיפרה להורים שלה, ובמהלך הימים אחרי זה הסתובבה איתנו עם הקבוצה, היא באה לשיעור אחד, היא שואלת שאלות. עזר לי מאוד לבשר לישראלים. דבר שלפני זה התקשיתי קצת, ובכלל איך להיות פתוח לאנשים. לקחתי ברית חדשה, ככה עשיתי הקדשה ורשמתי בזה, וככה דיברנו קצת וזה, הבאתי לה את הברית חדשה וממש התרגשה. וזה שליחות. שליחות לבוא ולבשר לחבר'ה צעירים, ולפי מה שראיתי פה, אנשים פי שתיים, פי שלוש יותר פתוחים ממה שהם בארץ. ואז שמתי את הברית החדשה על השולחן, ואיך ששמתי את זה, הבחור הראשון שפגשתי, הוא פשוט אומר לי, מה זה הברית החדשה? 
אני אומר לו כן. אתה אומר טוב, אז אני לוקח את זה. מסע משקף את ה... את החיים שאמורים להיות לנו בתור תלמידים של ישועה. מסע בשבילי כאן זה תלמידות, שההבנה של מהי תלמידות בזה שהבשורה היא במרכז, ואיך להביא את זה לידיעה לאנשים שעדיין לא מכירים את ישועה. דיברנו קרוב ל-40 דקות, והבאתי לה את הספר, היא נורא התרגשה, כי גם ביקשתי ממנה אם אפשר שנתפלל ביחד, והיא אמרה שכן. with a new passion for evangelism, a new passion for sharing that stems from knowing deeper and deeper who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Lord, uh, may our lives be so transformed by the reality, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. power over the grave, the life that we have because Christ rose. Lord, each day may we live in the reality that you have done everything. You have done every, everything. We believe in the Son. We believe in the risen one. I believe because of the power of the blood. <laughs> 